0: Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is Better Births and Better Education with Jamila White. Jamila Renee is a certified birth and postpartum doula at Mama Doula Services. She is a holistic synergist who strives to help expectant mothers optimize their childbearing experiences. With a bachelor's degree in psychology, she utilizes her background to integrate methods of holistic psychology. Jamila's integrative approach helps expectant parents learn to adapt a holistic mindset. Her most noteworthy slogan, what the mind decides, the body is sure to follow, captures the essence of embracing the human mind and body for the expectant mother. Jamila has attended over 20 natural and unmedicated births and has helped over 25 mothers exclusively breastfeed for more than one year. Jamila takes pride in helping mothers wake up their innate sensibilities and to overcome their most challenging fears relating to childbirth. Jamila and I had a great conversation, which I cannot wait to share with you. We talked about births, but we also talked a lot about education. And I came to some realizations in our conversation about where there are parallels between these two worlds um, and of course, how they interconnect. Enjoy. Hello, Jamila. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: So you are a doula, which not everyone has even heard of, um, and definitely not everyone utilizes those services. So can you describe what doula care is and why it's important?
1: Absolutely. So um, a doula is a non-medical professional, if you will. Um, Sometimes, Doulas have been provided specific training, especially inclusive training, cultural competency training. um, And they provide what I like to say, a slice of a pie as an acronym to help people remember what type of services doulas provide. So they provide physical support, informational, and emotional. And so that physical support could look like helping a laboring individual with different breathing techniques, and helping them reposition to help optimize the descending of baby coming out the vaginal canal, if you will. Um, The informational support tends to be unbiased, evidence-based support. So um, in our previous conversation, you had mentioned um, how your doctor said that induction doesn't necessarily lead to emergency C-sections, right? There's studies to show that unnecessary medical interventions such as that can lead to that. So we provide that evidence-based support and then emotional support. Um, sometimes we just kind of go with the flow with things instead of reflecting and doulas help birthing individuals debrief after birth. Um reveal any trauma that they may have experienced in outsourcing to appropriate referrals, such as therapists, um, counseling. Um, so that's the gist of what doulas do and what they provide and what they are.
0: And do you feel like it's for everyone or are there certain people that it's more important for?
1: Absolutely. So there's this saying that, you know, everyone deserves a doula in which I totally agree. Um, I also believe that everyone that wants a doula, you know, deserves one as well. I definitely think that it's a journey <laughs> first and foremost. So really identifying first. Um, some people don't know that they need help, right? <laughs> um, they're kind of just thought like, this is what you do as opposed to, hey, there's someone out there that could help guide you. And so sometimes there's this misconnection. So I definitely agree that everyone um, deserves a doula. Also, um, the statement of everyone that wants one deserves one.
0: Right, right. Um, okay, so one of the things that we wanted to talk about was kind of the connection of learning disabilities with birth complications, because, you know, our audience isn't necessarily pregnant women looking for a doula, although I'm sure there's plenty of that too. Um, but I'm just curious what you can share about difficult births in general, anything from statistics to, um, well, anything you can share.
1: Yes, so I am not a medical professional, as I mentioned, um, so that's not my trajectory. But um, through personal experiences with some of my clients and also um, noticing their APGAR tests, um, so for instance, if babies have been birthed via, via cesarean or belly birth, if you will, they tend to have lower APGAR tests. So,, um, a lot of the medications use, you know, <laughs> we often hear like, oh, they' they don't affect baby, they do <laughs> because it definitely goes in your bloodstream, right? Um, and it can it can also affect nursing if you're choosing to breastfeed as well. So just keeping in mind, you know, any narcotics um, that may be offered to you, if you are wanting to breastfeed being mindful and so that's where doulas kind of step in and say like hey this is a birth intention that this birthing individual has created they want to breastfeed right because in the midst of everything going on doctors are in and out of your room your doula is there throughout the entire labor and delivery process usually up to two hours postpartum and so they can step in and serve as that liaison like hey you know what, this client wishes to breastfeed. What alternative medications, if that's the route that that birthing individual wants to go? Um, and so, knowing and feeling like you have options and knowing that you have birthing rights in hospitals um, for them to provide you with alternatives in the event you want an alternative or different options. So, um, I have noticed that the APGAR tests seem to be lower. Um, also, I came across this article saying up to like four months, the growth and development tend to be a little slow. Um, but once again, like I'm not a medical professional um, and I'm not very erudite pertaining to that area. But I definitely feel like there is a correlation and there should be studies that reveal that um, They kind of just give you a packet (laughs) and expect you to read all through it, but they don't provide you with the resources that you really need postpartum.
0: Right. (laughs) And the the new mother brain, new parent brain Mm -hmm. is not at its prime to receive a huge packet of information, read through it, make sense of it you're like in that moment, just in survival mode of, I need sleep. I need food. I have to take care of my baby. And
1: absolutely. And And a lot of that research,
0: you know, it feels like it, the information they're giving after the fact might not be enough. Sometimes we have to have made different decisions ahead of time. If we knew all the information, which is why a doula can be very helpful in helping you to know what you don't know. Well, everyone else does it this way.
1: Right, Um, and I think that's a really neat part about being a doula and providing that support as well. You're able to be vulnerable, right? (laughs) Because it's the stigma that it's just always happy and parenthood and the joys, which both (laughs) can be true at the same time, right? It is joyous. It's also challenging. (laughs) So if you're not prepared for it and you don't feel like you have the proper autonomy, that makes a huge difference in your experience. So if you're taught kind of a fear-based method, right? Oftentimes doctors kind of instill that fear. I remember accompanying one of my clients to a prenatal visit and the doctor said, you know, the body doesn't know what to do. Yeah. 2023. Um, oh my gosh. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> like the body just fails us. Um, And I had a, a side part conversation and with my clients after they're like, how did that make you feel? Cause that's not a question that's asked. It's like you receive all this information, information, which oftentimes can be good information, but how do you feel in this process? Is it overwhelming? Let's acknowledge that, you know, let's take a step back. Let's reflect. Um, And this particular client did have some medical issues, pregnancy related issues. And so their doctor did want to induce them and in, incorporate um, some unnecessary medical interventions instead of just letting birth happen spontaneously. I understand that they wanted to take necessary precautions um, because of those medical (laughs) related, but the body does a great job adapting and getting acclimated um, to protect that mother and that baby. So that was really tough to hear, it was like, these are the doctors of today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's been my experience. Sometimes is the, what they say is like, how you're the doctor, you should know, <laughs> but they don't, <laughs> too often they don't. It's, it's, it's kind of alarming. Um, and I, that's why I think it is important to have, to have a doula or, that information, however you're gaining that information. And I know one thing that helped me a lot in being able to kind of like stand up for myself was having practice like affirmations. um, I'm blanking on what it was all called now, but it was like, you know, practicing affirmations ahead of time. So in the moment, and one of the ones that came to mind when you said that was my body knows it. My baby knows when when and how to be born or something like that that it was like yeah. I'm not you know you know you may not induce me because my baby knows when to when to be born um and it was it was very very helpful um so I'm
1: glad that was so helpful I love writing affirmations yeah um <clears throat> It definitely starts with the mind. I feel like a lot of things have gained traction within the birth realm, right? Nutrition and um, yoga, meditative states. But it's like, it begins with your mindset. So if you're coming in with the fear, that's gonna manifest. (laughs) Um, If you're coming in with some sort of optimism and, you know, I feel like I can do this. I know I can do this. I'm going to need support (laughs) with this. It definitely helps things a lot. Um, So birthing affirmations, um, feeling empowered, right? Waking up that, I feel like, innate sensibility that we're born with. Um, I know for some birthing individuals, they're like, I can do that. Um, You know, what does informed consent look like? So you're going into some of your OB appointments, and they're just coming in like, all right, I'm going to check your cervix, not knowing that you can opt out of that, right? It's more so procedural to them. So a lot of doctors aren't even knowing, like, I'm not asking for informed consent. This is just what I do in the event, you know, one of my patients is pregnant, Um So there's benefits and risks to every decision. And so one of them pertaining to cervical checks is interrupting the natural flora of the vaginal canal, right? Um, It can also expedite labor. Um, And so just being mindful that due dates are estimated due dates. Um, A lot of people hone in. I understand, mama, you are tired. (laughs) You are um sometimes over being in the pregnant state, sharing your body, you know, you miss what it feels like to get the proper sleep, <laughs> to be comfortable, but also allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. I don't think that's fully embraced.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember when I was pregnant with my first, I just knew that it was going to be sleepless nights after. So I was in no rush. I was like, no, keep the baby in there. <laughs> it's just going to get worse from here on out
1: (laughs) Uh, I love that perspective like yeah definitely in the midst of things you're just like I can't see the end of the tunnel yeah (laughs) but as the days progress you're like okay (laughs) in that moment it was pretty bad (laughs) yeah but in hindsight I'm like oh okay (laughs) Maybe again. One of
0: the other things you mentioned was that word empowered. And that's something I always think about in terms of, I think parenting in general, like a lot of these hard decisions we have to make, we ha- we need to be <laughs> informed so that we can feel empowered and make good choices for our kids. Like it definitely shows up again in like the IEP process. If you've got a child with some kind of learning disability, knowing what you what you need to know makes a huge difference. Otherwise, You're just going along with whatever the school says until the kid is, you know, at whatever grade. A lot of times it happens in like fourth grade and the parents are suddenly like, no, I am done blindly following you because this is not working. My kid is still super far behind and you've done nothing. Yeah. So, you know, the sooner that they, and sometimes they're afraid to say something, they're like, well, I don't want to rock the boat. And I get that. I do think that you know, relationships matter and the relationship with the school makes a difference and you want to have a positive relationship and assume the best intentions, but sometimes mm-hmm. schools are not informed about what they should be informed about, just like sometimes those doctors are not informed about the things that they should be informed about. And Absolutely. you can have that outside support and information. Um, just like in this conversation, I'm like, I feel like I'm the doula for an IEP,
1: Yes. There's a spectrum of doulas. I love that.
0: (laughs) I don't provide physical support, but I get the informational and the emotional as needed. (laughs) (laughs) I love that.
1: I think that um, that's really important. And also just being open and receptive to feedback. I understand that as a parent, it is hard. Sometimes we internalize it as it's my fault. Um, as opposed to, you know what, I made these decisions based upon the information that I had at the time or that I didn't have at the time. You know, just really taking ownership. I think that's when growth begins to happen. Um, instead of seeing it as a, in a victimized state, right, just owning up, forgiving yourself, extending yourself grace. Now that I am becoming more informative. I want things to look differently, you know? Right. Um, So I think just having a different approach is really helpful, um, especially pertaining to any assistance with like learning disabilities. And I had actually served as a behavior technician back home in Michigan um, for uh, individuals diagnosed on the spectrum. And I understood the importance of certain routines for them it was very lucrative and i learned how to really just extend grace like what worked for them as an individual um not a statistic you know um and that's something that i want to i know it's important but honing in on that stat instead of looking at a person as an individual and that's what we need to do, because there's too many systems in place now (laughs) that affects us. So I think definitely having that approach, like this is an individual at the end of the day.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and that's the whole individualized education program. The IEP is supposed to be individualized, and there are school teams that do definitely get into that, like, this is just the way we do things just like you're Mm -hmm. talking about the doctors, that this is just what I do. And they forget to individualize. They forget to be, to be warm and receptive to like the, you know, especially parents a newly into the IEP process, they need a little reassurance. They need to know that you care. And if you're treating it like a procedure, then it's not, they're not getting that feeling and they're, it, it can cause, distrust. Um, yes. And understandably so. Um, I wanted to also talk about birth complications and that link to learning disabilities. I remember early on in my career, I started noticing that a lot of the files that I had for my students, they always asked, about the birth history of the child and the early developmental milestones. And they always were looking at that early stuff, pregnancy even, was there any complications in pregnancy? So they went all the way back to that and were asking these questions. And I started noticing that a huge number of my students with learning disabilities in particular, and also like ADHD and some of um, those, they there was a lot of stuff that happened early on. And so then I started trying to look at statistics and and what's kind of going on and what that connection is. And I know that there is there is a correlation there. There is a link there. Um, Obviously there's a lot of other factors that impact whether or not a child might have a learning disability. It's not like if every birth is perfect, then your child will be without a learning disability. Like obviously right. that's not true, but there is also that correlation. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering, what we can do about that.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. There uh, definitely is a correlation. There's unfortunately not enough research, but I feel like more schools need to hear from the community. It's like, yeah, you can create a really great program. Who is it for? Who was kept in mind because <laughs> it's one thing to have that experience and provide insightful you know, information and provide those resources. And it's another <clears throat> to not have undergone or not know what that experience is like and just creating a program or a system without taking under consideration. Um, back at home in Michigan where I'm from, I served as a member of a policy council Although I homeschool my son, he went to preschool. It was very (laughs) short-lived right before the pandemic. And it was very impactful. Um, I remember some of the other parents saying that it shouldn't matter what your income is if your child needs help. And for that program in particular to have free education or free preschooling, um, you had to meet a certain income level. And if it superseded that, you were ineligible. And so once again, these systems that they have put in place, um, it's not inclusive, it's not equitable. And so definitely um, creating more of a sense of community, having committees i think would be helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know I'd love we were talking before that it would be so nice if almost like as soon as school starts or at the pediatrician if the pediatrician could do better about it like hey, there is a trauma associated with birth or was whatever. Mm-hmm. Watch your kids education very carefully. Because Mm -hmm. there is, you know, there could be something with that, that there, it could impact their education. Um, Because there are definitely those doctors, like I've dealt with where it was, oh, no, that's not a thing.
1: Yeah. Dismissive. (laughs) Like, I'm telling you that it is a thing.
0: It is a thing. Yeah. But (laughs) they want to be the expert and aren't willing to Be an expert i guess like they're not actually getting the information they need to be the expert right um so yeah it would it would be nice to see some some kind of program in place where we just automatically and there is more of that i know that um not related to the birth history or any of that but we are starting to have universal screening for dyslexia in kindergarten to first grade more and more schools are doing that um, it's becoming policy in certain places that it which is nice because at least one learning disability is getting looked at very intensely getting a lot of attention right now um, and might might lead to better outcomes because the sooner we can recognize it the sooner we can do something about it unfortunately there's too many schools that also don't provide great services for those kids right now proper instruction that they can actually make progress um but that's that's a separate issue and a separate rant
1: (laughs) (laughs) I um I agree I remember us having a conversation of how you go to the doctor's office and they group according to milestones right you have like your one month your three month and then when school starts they're all grouped together so even just the title of learning disability, is it, is it necessarily a disability or that child is learning differently? Um, What happened to the milestones? You know, a baby born in April is going to look different from a baby born in December. (laughs) So now you're grouping them all together and expecting them to learn at the same pace. And that's just, not realistic, <laughs> especially right. coming from the different milestones that were implemented in the beginning. So it definitely is a system that sets parents and children up for failure instead yeah. of with the proper support that they need.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you're not born in the best months then you wind <laughs> up seeming to be behind your peers And it's, it is confusing. And then they, they tried to address that with like transitional kindergarten, but now that Mm -hmm. means that some kids get transitional kindergarten before kindergarten and other kids don't because they aren't falling in the age bracket. So there's still like a, some kids are getting something other kids aren't, and it's never like nobody starts kindergarten just because they turned five or six or whatever age you want to tie it to. It's not everyone starts just when they turn this age. And I understand from a practical sense that that would be really hard to implement, but it it does make a difference. Um, And I know as they get older, it makes less and less of a difference, but those early years do make a huge impact on those later years. And then there's also Mm -hmm. just, differences in kids that there are some kids who are just, I always think of it like there's some kids who they're all developing, right? They're all yes. developing, 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 but some kids are spending a lot of time developing their gross motor skills and other kids are spending a lot of time developing their fine motor skills and other kids are developing more cognitive skills that and other skills, right? There's different types of language skills. There's like all these different things. So there's kids that come into kindergarten with really great gross motor skills, that they won't keep practicing, but no, you need to sit down and be quiet and work on your cognitive skills now, but, and your fine motor skills, and maybe they're not, their strengths and what they need isn't, they're not getting a lot of that. Um, so it is, I always think about that too. It's like, well, what are, what are their strengths? What are they actually needing? What are their interest what can we do to engage them what can we do to see better progress for them um but it is it's a <laughs> it's a big a big issue
1: i love those interventions that you mentioned i also think homeschooling has helped um <laughs> it has helped with unschooling myself <laughs> and just being so all right this is this these are the parameters and it's like wait it can be child-based led learning can be they're learning when you cook in the kitchen that's science the different physical properties physical changes um you folding clothes (laughs) you know sorting and at first i was like okay we have to sit down do this. Let's practice on writing. I was like we can go to the beach and you can grab a stick and practice. So I'm really grateful that um, I have been able to have this experience of unschooling myself and homeschooling uh, Shalev. It definitely has been beneficial and I think that um, pertaining to I like what you said learning differences um, with me allowing him to freely (laughs) show me like what it is he is interested in and then us creating like a curriculum if you will, to um, support that entry.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it would be, you know, I feel like we have certain things in place here in California that helps make it more possible for some people with like the charter schools giving some funding for curriculum. But not every family can stay home with their kid to homeschool them. Not everyone wants to. And I also respect that. Right. And I think the schools can be really good. It's like, I, I agree. Like, I love homeschooling and I love all of the benefits of it. And at the same time, I'm still so passionate about making those public schools better for everyone who is still in the public schools. And I don't want it to become... I worry about it becoming like a a divide. Like, well, the rich people can just choose to homeschool and get private tutors or whatever it is that they want and value. Mm -hmm. And then the poor kids are stuck in the public school because their parents have to keep working all the time. And and then the public school is getting worse and worse, which I'm seeing a bit of right now. Mm -hmm. Not that the public school isn't trying, but funding is limited teachers are super burnt out. So a lot of the best teachers have left. I left there's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because we want really great public schools, but a lot of teachers don't get a lot of respect. And so they get, you know, if I'm getting no respect and not much pay, why am I doing this? Like you can only do it for the kids for so long before there's it's not it's not worth it because of how much emotional taxation there is like it's just very draining yeah. so yeah it's like we have to come up with this whole a whole i don't want to say a whole different system but a very different system like we need a lot of well trained teachers who actually know the information that they need to know who are constantly being updated with the latest research so that they can implement it and help help them implement it help them be the best they can be because most everyone who becomes a teacher or anyone in the school system cares a lot about kids and their education and they want them to do well and they want to be really great teachers but then they're working these really long hours Mm -hmm. they're super exhausted they go home they don't have time to then spend any time researching the latest anything they're just trying to spend some time with their families, trying to relax, trying to, you know, heal themselves so they can show up again the next day, (laughs) so yeah.
1: There's a lot of factors. Um, I actually was having a conversation with my partner um, because I did attend public school and we were just saying how we didn't notice all the factors that were affecting some of our friends you know, it's hard to focus at 7 a.m. when you're eating a bag of hot Cheetos for breakfast Mm -hmm. or you're thinking about where your next meal is coming from and school is pretty much a safe haven, you know, a getaway from your home life. So if we look at the system's approach, it's more so of a band-aid issue, right? Like, okay, let's just patch it here, patch it here. Instead of looking at it from a holistic perspective um, of, okay, home directly affects their performance, right? Right. Or can, I should say, can directly um, affect their performance at school. Um, Are they well cared for at school? Do the parents need help instead of side eyeing Like, oh my God, this is the second day that, um, you know, this child has come in hungry all right, how can we help this family <laughs> Right, right. as a collective?
0: Right. Yeah, that leads me to the whole other, like, you know, I've seen more and more universal kindergarten available, universal, and then now some transitional kindergarten if they fall in the right age group. And then there's like a push for preschool, free preschool available for everyone, which I think is great. But I also go back to, I don't want free preschool and free daycare. I want the parents, the mothers and father, like whoever is caring for that child to be able to be with the kid and not have to have two incomes just to make ends meet, even with free childcare. Like it's it becomes too much because, you know, like we know that breastfeeding has all these great benefits, including educationally, But then we're supposed to go back to work eight weeks after we've given birth. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, we know what we should do. Yes. And most other countries in the world do have extended maternity leave. I've heard, I can't remember which country right now, that up to like five years maternity leave.
1: It's like, oh my God. That sounds wonderful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, now they're going to school and they're at an age where, and I can see that in my own kids, around five and younger for some kids, older for others, around that age, they're ready to like be away from you for a while. Like there's not that separation anxiety as much. They're more like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'll see you after class. Right. Especially if they've had that positive, consistent caregiving early on. And, And again, I worry about only the rich people can do that because the rest of us can't afford it. So it's it's rough. Um, it is.
1: Um, it is definitely challenging. So I want to tap into what you said, believing that only the rich. So um, going back to a mindset shift, right? of okay if this is something I want to do um what does that look like and how can I do it yeah that took a lot
0: <laughs> yeah
1: to, um because I definitely struggled <laughs> with making the decision of wanting to be at home with Shalev um That was based upon my experience of having my mom be a caretaker, just really involved in my education. My dad worked at General Motors. So we were able to have like that income, but at the same time, it wasn't like shared. (laughs) So um, my mom just made that decision. Like I want to be involved with my children And so that's something that I decided, and I worked part-time for an organization as a behavior technician when I had Shaleb, and then I stumbled across doula work. I was like, okay, I thought about nursing school, um, but that didn't resonate with me. Um, I just really liked the um, holistic and just non-medical approach. And so I was like, okay. It really takes a village <laughs> to support you in those decisions. So um, yes, there are systems in place that create, you know, social classism and everything like that, but also kind, kind of viewing yourself as an individual and saying, okay, let me make it intentional and see what it is that I would like to do and how I can make this work. Um, yeah.
0: Right. I definitely agree. Like there's definitely that for us where at first I thought, well, there's, I mean, long ago I thought I would never homeschool because of my own bias. And then I learned more, did more research, learned more. And I was like, actually I would totally homeschool. Uh, (laughs) Um, especially seeing my kids. I was like, I'm not ready to send them to school. Um, but, and it's been great, but it was, it was like, uh, uh, okay let's come together and really look at this yeah. what are our priorities what are we what would we have to sacrifice in order for this to work out for us and making those decisions yeah. like taking that ownership um and but I feel like I have that I'm privileged enough to be able to do that and I just worry that others don't have that and I want I want it to be better for everyone and everyone to have the choice as well as having really great public schools that you can send your kid to when that's the choice you want and I (laughs) don't think our public schools are terrible I just think that there's a lot of room for growth right and in some schools more than others I agree there is a variety but
1: (laughs) I agree definitely um starting with food as well, the food that they Mm -hmm. serve, (laughs) you know, we're not robots. (laughs) They need energy and just thinking about like, man, I was just on a sugar rush. What was I doing? Eating Pop-Tarts for breakfast and (laughs) pre-calc. Yeah. But performing great, which (laughs) looking back in hindsight, I'm like, Just imagine if you had the proper nutrition, how much more you could excel and um, not thinking about costs as a barrier (laughs) with food, because there is a stigma of, you know, eating healthy costs. I understand that everybody has their own interests, but growing your own foods, having just a little garden, you know, even if you just start with a plant or two, um, I currently have a peace lily who... Is struggling, (laughs) but I'm learning how to nourish it. I actually named it after myself to remind myself to nourish myself every day, whether that's, you know, talking to my plant. Okay. You need to give your plant water. What does that look like? So, um, along with the mindset shift and also, um, implementing nutrition, um, Yes, I definitely think that public schools could really benefit from, like we mentioned, the committees and um, serving better food. Yeah. <laughs> Even offering like nutrition classes, <laughs> um, how to make meals, having someone come in. That's a nutritionist. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's that like, multiple pronged approach of like taking ownership over your own stuff making Mm -hmm. your own hard decisions for your own family and your own priorities and also doing everything we can to make everything better for everyone um so yeah it's it's there's a lot to it and definitely the food stuff I mean I was like I'm confused I thought there were rules now about what we could the school could (laughs) serve but I'm seeing you serve like I can't remember if they ever actually served Pop-Tarts, but they've definitely served like donuts. I'm like, are those like super healthy donuts? I don't, they don't (laughs) seem like it. And then, you know, they're like getting the cereals, which are very sugary. And and I'm like, okay, well, you got the milk, but then, you know, there's all of us who can't drink that milk and you don't offer any option for that. So then they're (laughs) just eating the cereal, which is just sugar. Okay.
1: make that make sense and then you're sitting at the parent teacher conferences and the teacher is like well they fall asleep during my class okay <laughs> that could be a, a numerous things that happen throughout the day you know inefficient sleep <laughs> do they have a bed bedtime routine um is someone at home that they trust right um while their parents are working, Um, there's a lot. So I definitely think once we look at things holistically, that's when the changes will begin to.
0: Yeah. Yes. All right. I have loved this conversation. Um, And thank you so much for being here. Is there any last thoughts or words of wisdom or anything you wanna share with everyone?
1: Yes, so Mary Mama Dula Service's slogan is what the mind decides, the body is sure to follow. And so I think when we begin to um, dive into a journey of self-exploration and what our identity is, when we make those decisions of, okay, this is what I intend on doing, everything else begins to fall into place. And so I just... um, wish everyone well intentions. be empowered. Um, tap into yourself, love on yourself a little bit more, um, extend yourself grace for the decisions that you have made with the information that you were presented or not, and um, continue on your journey. And have fun. have fun with it. I'm I'm learning that throughout the process.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love all of that. So beautifully said. Well, thank you so much for being on, Jamila, and we'll see you again soon.
1: Thank you so much, Kimberlyn. It was a pleasure. See you soon.